What's going on, everyone, and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Thursday, August 18th, 2022. As the Cardinals, you can cross another series off the list. That is a sweep. Three and out over the Colorado Rockies this week at Bush Stadium. Coming into the series, you thought, boy, would this be a nice time to go ahead and get a sweep done. We've talked a lot about how the Rockies on the road are just not a very good baseball team. They came into this week's series 18-36 and 36 in road games, despite the fact that they're above 500 at Coors Field this year. And the Cardinals saw a little bit of what that looks like last week when they lost two out of three to the Rockies at their place. But when you put the Rockies on the road, they're a different team, and they just, quite frankly, they're not nearly as competitive The Cardinals have been very competitive, especially of late as they have moved into first place in the National League Central. And then, like I said, coming into this series, you thought this would be a great time to do it. But the reality is you have to still win each of those games and you can't take any of them for granted. Well, the Cardinals didn't. They managed the job. Three wins in a row. The first one took a little bit of a a comeback and maybe some luck with uh, Denelson Lamette giving up the walks in the hit-by-pitch to Tyler O'Neill to walk it off in Game 1 of the series on Tuesday. Last night, we talked about the Cardinals getting it done with Nolan Gorman, Brennan Donovan, those two guys leading the way offensively. And on Thursday afternoon at Bush Stadium, it was an offensive onslaught as the Cardinals come up with 13 runs, scoring the biggest shutout victory in Bush Stadium 3 history, I believe is the statistic on that, the 13-run margin the largest shutout the Cardinals have had in this ballpark since its inaugural season in 2006. So the Cardinals offense came alive, and on days like this, there's a lot of good things to talk about. And So we'll get into as many of them as we can. We'll continue to talk about how against right-handed pitching, this new-look lineup for the Cardinals, I think, has some staying power. Two young guys at the top, they were there again on Thursday, and they got the job done once again. But it wasn't just the young guys contributing in this game. I mean, a lot of people had impacts offensively. The Cardinals had six different guys with multi-hit games, and we'll talk about each of them a little bit, diving into just a very productive day all around for the offense. But I want to talk about one special guy in particular, and he's not exactly young, but at 42 years old, Albert Pujols still getting the job done. He gets an opportunity. He didn't start the game, but ends up taking three at-bats and driving in five runs as Ollie Marmel decided to go for the jugular in the third inning, pinch-hitting Albert Pujols against lefty Austin Gomber. You may remember him as uh, part of the Nolan Arenado trade. That deal keeps working out for the Cardinals. Even though Nolan didn't get a hit today, 0 for 4, but he did have an RBI. But pretty much everybody else was electric for the Cardinals offensively. So excited to get into a little bit of the detail on that. And we'll talk as well about another veteran who did his job on Thursday, Adam Wainwright. Familiar with him. Seven shutout innings for Wayno. A fantastic job. And we'll hear from Wayno as well from after the game with a little bit of audio. Him talking about the magnificent Albert Pujols and what one of the greatest to ever do it did again on Thursday. And actually, it really wasn't again because with his pinch hit grand slam in the third inning, Albert Pujols gained the very first pinch hit grand slam of his career. Had never done that before. He's got, I believe it's 16 Grand Slams now in his career, and he's tied on a list with several other greats of the game, but never had one of the pinch hit variety until Thursday. So a lot of fun to get into from 
a very positive week and a positive series for the Cardinals as they swept the Colorado Rockies out of Bush Stadium on Thursday, 13-0 the final score. Before we get into the content of the show today, though, I want to remind you guys real quick that you can subscribe to Be Shafe Daily to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for my iPhone users in the crowd. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, both great locations. But if you're looking for some other apps to try out, anchor.fm slash bshafer12. You can click on more platforms and find all the seven or eight possible locations to download bshafe daily on a regular basis. And if you'd like to support the show, there are a couple of ways you can do it. Patreon.com slash bshafer12. If you'd like to subscribe on a monthly basis to the Patreon, you'll get some additional content there. Uh, but you can also look at it as a way to support this podcast, which is going to remain free to consume, but it does take some manpower to produce. So appreciate y'all who have supported me in that way. You can also head to my Twitter account, click on the money tab. It's at bshafer12, and you'll be linked to Cash App or Venmo if you'd like to support Bshafe Daily in that way. But enough of that. Let's get into the content of the show today. As the Cardinals, they did what they needed to do. They swept the Rockies out of town, lowered that record for Colorado on the road this season to a very paltry 18 and 39 on the year. The Cardinals, though, have been rolling meanwhile. They're now 15 games above 500, and they maintain that three game lead over the Brewers in the National League Central. Credit to Milwaukee. They're hanging tough this week against the Dodgers. They got another win on Thursday, so the lead remains just three games at this point in time. But impressive what the Cardinals have been able to do. And when you can beat up on a team that's just clearly your inferior opponent in every single way. It's good to find the time to do that. And the Cardinals did right from the very beginning on Thursday. They scored three runs in the first inning. Antonio Sensatella was the starter for Colorado. And things went from bad to worse for the Rockies in the second inning. And this is something that you never want to see. But Sensatella, uh, I don't know what the final result of his injury has been. I haven't been glued to Twitter or anything like that uh, this afternoon and evening since the end of my radio show. But it did not look good. Antonio Sensatella, kind of like the Steven Matz play where you're a pitcher coming off the mound trying to make a play, and he he seemed to think that he needed to cover the bag, but at first he was trying to pick up the ball, and then he was going to leave it for the first baseman. But it's that change of direction that happens toward the end of the play, and the knee it looked like just buckled on Sensatella. So I don't expect we'll see him again in 2022, which is just really unfortunate. Uh, you never want to see a guy get hurt in that way. But what the Cardinals did is they took advantage of it on the scoreboard. Again, they were already up at that time. Sensatella was charged with five runs in the game, but they found a way to add on, and boy, did they ever do so in the third inning. They had the 5 nothing lead already. It was made 6 nothing earlier in the third inning before Albert got a chance to add to it even further with the bases loaded, Ollie Marmel. He's got that dog in him, is the way that I phrased it, because Marmel doesn't take anything for granted, doesn't decide that, well, it's 6 nothing, so we can just kind of rest on our laurels here and call it good. We're probably going to win this game, and so there's no reason to go for the jugular here, right? No, 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 no. There's every reason to go for the jugular, and in the third inning there, Austin Gomber was not off to a very prominent start. Again, he came on in relief of Sensatella, Walk to Gorman, walk to O'Neill, Dylan Carlson with a base hit to make it 6 nothing, And then a couple of strikeouts to make you feel like, well, maybe Austin Gomber's going to get out of this inning with no further damage. But then he walks Lars Newpar, and that brings up the opportunity. And Brennan Donovan, you know, 
he had his opportunities in this game. He did everything he needed to do. And what he needed to do in this moment was to concede the ground, concede the opportunity to Albert Pujols, who took full advantage of it on Thursday. You talk about some excited Dan McLaughlin on that one. What a call. Just an absolute line shot off the bat of Albert Pujols out there to left field. It got out in a hurry. That's vintage stuff. 690 career home runs. I don't think the ball ever really got any higher than that second deck, that Big Macland level. I think the baseball might have gotten even to the lettering on the Big Macland sign, but it didn't get any higher than that and ended up a few rows deep beyond the left field wall. 10-0 at that point for the Cardinals. How much fun is it that Ollie Marmel in that situation, you've had Brendan Donovan playing really well in recent days, and I want to get into that a little bit further, even though he only had a, a bit of a truncated day. Brendan Donovan took two at-bats. He had two hits, two runs scored, and an RBI. But in that spot in the third inning, it's a left-handed pitcher, Austin Gomber, taking on Albert Pujols. There's no better matchup for the Cardinals at this point in the season. With the way that Albert is swinging the bat, Again, we, we've known all season long that he was going to be a cheat code against left-handed pitching, and that's absolutely the way that it has turned out this season for Albert, especially since the All-Star break. He's been good against everybody, really, since the All-Star break. If you go back to the very first game after the All-Star break when Albert participated in the home run derby, had a lot of fun. He beat Kyle Schwarber in the swing-off. It was very exciting. He had a wonderful showing there, and I don't know if that rejuvenated, reignited something within him, but he's just been on an absolute torrid pace ever since. Prior to today, he was hitting for 395 with a 790 slug and a 1242 OPS, and then after entering the game as a pinch hitter, Albert went two for three with a run scored and five RBIs, and obviously the big grand slam. So that OPS has gone up, in the time since the All-Star break, his OPS, and again, I won't get to look at it till tomorrow. I I still have not resolved it. VHS tried to help me out with a couple different things on, on things I could look at with fan graphs. It still doesn't do what I needed to do, which is give me those arbitrary endpoints. But I'll be able to look at it on Friday to see what Albert Pujols' updated numbers are since the All-Star break. But prior to today, it was 1242 for the OPS, and it has only gone up from there and that's not just against lefties. It's not right. That's everything in what what was 42 plate appearances, and now he's up to 45. He's just been absolutely out of this world. But that's what Cardinals fans remember Albert Pujols being, and that's what's so special about what's going on right now because it really is as though Albert is performing to his vintage levels. There was a lot of conversation and maybe consternation surrounding the notion that Pujols would someday return. It was something that was talked about kind of like water cooler conversation for years before it really became evident that, oh, this could actually be something that's possible. It's not just a pipe dream. Albert could have that dream farewell season and go out on his terms as a Cardinal and sort of right some of the wrongs that I know some Cardinals fans felt were done by Albert leaving in the first place. 
in that notion that ah, it's, is it really going to be as good as we imagine it might be? Because when you're just sitting there dreaming up the circumstances, you can say that it's going to be wonderful and he's going to be great and, and the fans are going to adore him and he's going to come up with big hits that people will remember forever and it will give them those warm fuzzies uh, about nostalgia because they remember back when and now he's doing it again. Like that was all nice and good. To It sounded great in theory. But to put it into practice, there were people that were concerned that it wouldn't really go well. It was like, I don't know if I want Albert to come back because I'm not going to be able to stomach it when he's not what he used to be, when he's a shell of his former self. Well, I got news for you. Albert Pujols is not, not only is he not a shell of his former self right now, he is one of the best hitters in baseball since the All-Star break. I mean, top 10 in OPS, top 10 in in all of these categories, batting average, slugging percentage, uh, weighted on base average. He uh, was eighth coming into today per fan graphs. He's he's walking the same amount that he's striking out at 7.1%. Uh, isolated power of 395. I could go on and on. He's just been tremendous. And it's been truly like having Albert of old back in the Cardinals lineup. Now, how long can we expect that to continue? I don't know, but there's only about six weeks left of this season. If he could find a way to keep the pace that he's had for the last month and do it for six more weeks, it's possible Albert Pujols could get to 700. He's up to 690 now. This is the first time I'm even broaching this topic. I'll have to eat my words. I remember when it was it was probably a week ago at this time when Ben Fredrickson of STL Today tweeted and said after one of Albert's recent big homers, he said he's going to get to 700. I've been I've been saying this, and I I, I thought Ben Fred, I don't see any way the math just does not support it. He'd have to go on a ridiculous pace. Well. Well, I might be eating those words before too long because he's up to 690. And now that he's within 10, I sort of see the path. And we talked about it on the big show this afternoon on KTGR. Uh, You can subscribe to the the big show podcast on Spotify as well if you're interested in uh, not only Cardinals content, but mid-Missouri sports, talking some Mizzou, talk some Kansas City Chiefs, things like that. Andy and I have a good time on the big show, so we'd love for you guys to check that out as well if you're looking for more uh, sports-related content. But we talked about, is it possible that Albert could get to 700? And it's just crazy how much more of a reality it seems to me at this point than it did a few days ago. You just get to that number, and then once it gets to single digits, it really will start to feel as though uh, the countdown could be on. Now, he's been on a ridiculous pace and basically homering once a week over the past few weeks since the All-Star break, maybe even a little bit better than that. But... To expect that he could continue to do that would be asking a lot. But since it's what he's done, we could map it out and say, hey, one homer per week for the rest of the season would be six more. And that gets you to 696, which would tie Alex Rodriguez on the all-time list. You only need to find four more beyond that. And I'm thinking there's a world in which the Cardinals run away with this division down the stretch. I know the Brewers are not a team to, to trifle with. I don't think we want to undersell them. And they're still a very good team. As they've showed this week against the Dodgers, I believe they took two out of four. So they're, they're they're staying alive and hanging in there. But I could see a case where the Cardinals, they they take advantage of the schedule that they have coming up where they play the Diamondbacks. Uh, they get five at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. Like, they've got some, some soft teams to play coming up in this road trip. We'll see what they're able to do there with it. But I could see a world in which the Cardinals... Five, six game lead at the end of September, maybe. And then you continue to roll it up. And by mid-September, you're up seven or eight games. And 
you start to kind of shift it into into gear and say, well, this is going to be a division win. How can we get Albert to 700? My my the thing that I would do, my uh, request would be, especially if the Cardinals had it locked up, you start leading Albert Pujols off every day. I don't care if it's a lefty. I don't care if it's a righty. You get him those at-bats because he's in 15 games and 10 starts since the All-Star break. He's now hit five home runs. So home run every three games. Cardinals have 40-some-odd games remaining. If Albert starts in 20 of them, because that's when the lefties are playing, and we could say 23 to 25 because they might throw him in there against a few righties. Uh, you know, if he if he hits a home run every three games, well, he's going to get there. But I don't know that you can expect that pace to continue. That being said, 20 starts, maybe another 15 pinch hit appearances. The numbers he's had against left-handed pitching has been crazy. It's been even more insane against left-handed relief pitching in particular. I don't have the exact numbers, but I can I can show you why I know it's ridiculous based on pulling up the splits for baseball reference. I don't know why they do it this way. They don't show what his numbers are against left-handed relievers. It's only lefty as a whole and against lefty starters. But as a whole against lefties prior to today, again, 1054 was his OPS. Against lefty starters, it's only a 920 OPS, which says his performance against lefty relievers is even more significantly great for his overall left-handed numbers to go from 920 to jump to 1054 when you add in the numbers against the relievers. So he is taking the pinch hit opportunities that would, and it stands to reason, Ali Marmel is putting him into games selectively because they believe it's a good matchup. And in those matchups, he's been able to thrive and come up with some big hits for the Cardinals. He's also had more at-bats against righties this year than he has lefties and has still hit a few home runs against right-handed pitching. So even though he's not been as effective, if the Cardinals have already wrapped up the division and nothing else matters, get him the at-bats, start him every day, every day that he wants to be in there. He can DH still. He doesn't have to play the field. It's all about the at-bats for Pujols, especially at home. They should be doing that anyway down the stretch, unless it's a situation where you are locked in a division race and it's you know kind of like it is right now. The Cardinals are three games up. But I'm anticipating the Cardinals could go on a little bit more of a run here and, and maybe pull away with this thing, at which point it does become nostalgia fest down the stretch. You want Pujols in there. I could see a way. I mean, if he starts 20 more games and homers in five of them, that's that's half the battle. And then find a way to maybe have a multi-home run game here or there. Get those pinch hit opportunities. It's going to come down to the wire, I think. I said on the show, on the big show today, Fourteen uh, percent is the chance I give him to reach seven hundred. Which, if you'd asked me a week ago, I'd have said zero percent. But I'm up to fourteen percent. But I say there's a fifty percent chance he actually gets to that six ninety six mark to tie Alex Rodriguez, because I don't see any sign of him slowing down right now. The way he's hitting, and this is just—I mean, ask Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright had some good thoughts after the game that we'll go ahead and play now because he was asked pretty extensively about Albert Pujols but was just saying, yeah, this is what he does. And if Albert continues to do what he does, then you're going to see him rack up some more homers. And with the dwindling number that it's going to take to get to history, to get to 700, or to get to at least 696, 697, to move up one more spot on the list, there's a real chance at this point that Albert is able to pull down some of these records. But let's hear from Adam Wainwright with his thoughts on Albert Pujols and the marvelous Grand Slam, the continuation of a wonderful career 
on Thursday at Bush Stadium. My job today was just to not mess it up. I mean, the offense was the story. You know, I, I pitched a, a good game, but they were incredible. You know, and Albert hitting the grand slam. I mean, we're just we're just kind of like living in the shadow right now, which is where we should be. But he's uh, he's incredible. He's incredible. When you when you try to figure out what's going on with him, because he's getting better and better. You know, you always say people look at age and they should get better and better. What's, what stands up and what impresses you about him? I mean, this, he looks the same as when he left to me. He doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, it, this is what he's supposed to look like at, here at this stadium doing these things. This is the other 10 years, I don't know what happened. But the 12 that I've seen him here, he's been pretty good. Have you ever seen a guy? That was what you wanted to know. Rise to the moment every time. Like, like it seems like he always comes through in that kind of stage. When yeah, it's what he does. It's what he's always done. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, I tell those stories all the time. And now they now they really believe me. I think they were like, yeah, he's real right. He's not that much better than so and so. Or you know, I'm like, just know that this is what he did all the time. You know, this is him. So yeah, it's cool. Your efficiency was. What was your reaction when you see Ollie go to pinch it for Albert in the bottom of the third? That's a pretty cutthroat decision there to definitively go to win the game in that setting. Well, I think he knew that there was going to be multiple at-bat situation off of a lefty and Gomer there, and it was a good opportunity to get a couple at-bats. I mean, Albert's been absolutely crushing lefties, so, um, yeah, that's made sense to me. Pretty good move on paper, too. Pretty good stuff from Cardinals pitcher Adam Wainwright. That's courtesy of Bally Sports on their Twitter account for that audio. The fact that he throws seven scoreless innings, gives up just three hits, strikes out seven, and says, yeah, I was just trying to stay out of Albert's way. We're we're all just kind of basking in the glow of what he's doing right now. And that's the way it should be. That's what Wayno said, and I I kind of tend to agree. Like, Wayno's going to have his moment with Yadier Molina later on this season if he and Yadi continue to hook up every fifth day. They're going to set that record for the most starts by a single pitcher-catcher battery in the history of Major League Baseball. But right now, when Albert Pujols is doing what he's doing, yeah, he's going to garner the bulk of the attention, and and that should indeed be the case. So really cool to see what Albert did. Again, cool to see Ollie go for it. You heard Katie ask that of Adam Wainwright, what he thought of that situation. He said, yeah, it's a pretty good move on paper. And, and I do think it had something to do with the fact that with Gomber coming into that game as early as the second due to the injury to Sensatella, you knew that the Rockies were going to try to get multiple innings out of him. He's a former starter. He can go probably two, three, four, five innings is is what they're hoping to see from Gomber in that situation. And if you're Ollie, you know that, first of all, you've got an opportunity to really twist the knife in a 6-0 game, make it with a base hit 8-0, maybe even more. Obviously, it turns into 10, but you see that opportunity to really put the icing on the cake for a series sweep that early in the game, absolutely do it. And then the fact that he gets a couple more opportunities later on in the game is pretty cool as well. He's been fantastic. We've talked a lot about Albert, rightfully so. For the season, I just want to give you his updated season numbers. He's hitting 258, which that's not necessarily vintage Albert Pujols batting average, but we know better in 2022 than to only look at that. The OPS of 814 for Albert Pujols is higher than everyone on the team not named Goldschmidt or Arenado. That's the, that's everybody. Everybody that's active. Everybody that was in the lineup today, anyway. Nolan Gorman is at 786. He's had a good year. Brennan Donovan, 784. He's really putting the ball on the bat and making things happen. Lars Newbar is up to 761. 
None of them are where Albert Pujols has been. That's not against lefties. That's against everybody, that 814 number, which just tells you how ridiculous it is what he's done against lefties because against righties, he's hitting like 176 with an OPS below 600. So the fact that he is cumulatively above 800 at this point just tells you how ridiculous the tear has been that he's been on recently. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the rest of the offense. I like that look for Lars Newpar at the top of the order. He once again finds a way to contribute leading off in the game on Thursday. Two hits and three at-bats, but also reaches base via walk twice. So he's on base four times and he scores three runs. At This this is an everyday outfielder at, at the major league level for a contending team. That's what Lars Newtbar brings to the table. We know that he's a good defender. He's made some really good plays out there in right field. And I, I talked about this a little bit on the big show today as well, but I want to reiterate here, and it's it's kind of along the vein of what we've discussed the last couple of days when it comes to platoon advantages that the Cardinals are finding finally with their roster set up the way that it is. This is the best position player roster the Cardinals have had in quite a while. Like, the pieces are finally fitting together in ways that they have not previously. And I it's not that... And I think I even mentioned this once within the last couple of days. It's not that Edmundo Sosa is not a good player. He's obviously getting off to a decent start with the Phillies. I looked at some of his numbers and thought, okay, good for Eddie. Like, he's he's hitting the ball a little bit more since he got over there. He's fallen off the pace slightly. But 708 OPS in 18 plate appearances for Sosa. But with the Cardinals, he's hitting 189 with a 515 OPS. Like, it wasn't working in terms of offensively. And when you have Brendan Donovan who can play shortstop, when you have Tommy Evan who can play shortstop, when you have Paul DeYoung back on your roster, it just didn't make sense to continue to hold a guy like Sosa where the upside offensively was so limited. So clearing that spot actually unlocked for me the best Cardinals offensive roster that they've had in quite some time because everything fits like a puzzle right now where against right-handed pitching, you feel really good about Lars Nupar being your leadoff guy and he's going to be in there. Dylan Carlson can be lower in the lineup and still find ways to contribute. He and Tyler O'Neill have been two guys that I have harped on considerably recently to say the Cardinals need them to go consistently, no matter if they're at the top of the lineup or in the middle or the bottom, wherever they are. Those are two guys that the Cardinals need to see significant contributions from. And both of those guys went two for four in today's game. They drove in a run. They reached via walk and they score collectively three runs between the two of them. That's on base three times each. Six in total. Really good to see from those guys near the bottom of the lineup. And guys like Goldie did their job as well. Three for four with two doubles for Goldie, a couple of RBIs. Um, but what some of the younger guys have done, like I, I classify the, the 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 groups a little bit differently in the lineup. I look at the young guys like Newt Bar, Donovan, and Gorman, and I want to see what they can do. I look at a certain cl- class of veterans, which is basically confined to O'Neill and Carlson right now because I think they're upside is better than anybody in the lineup not named Goldschmidt and Arenado, but we haven't seen them hit on that this season, and they need to get there. And then I look at the the Edmonds, and maybe you can put DeYoung into that category and say, well, we'll kind of see. We're in wait-and-see mode a little bit on those guys. Can they meet the expectations? Because for the season, neither of them have have had great offensive numbers. Obviously, DeYoung's situation is unique in that he was awful at the beginning and has come on a little bit stronger but now with a pinch hit appearance today that did not garner a base hit, he's 0 for his last 12, and so something to keep an eye on. But even with that, you know that DeYoung can provide some pop, but I like the possibility that the Cardinals maybe aren't glued to having to have him in there as the everyday shortstop, especially if things aren't going well. When he's hitting, by all means. But 
when you've got other guys in the lineup and some of those young guys in particular contributing, you don't necessarily need to force it with Young. And so that was something I mentioned on last night's podcast with the day game after a night game. I was hoping they would give to Young the day, and they did do so, although he pinched it later. But the fact that he didn't get the start and you got to see more of Brendan Donovan, he's DH twice in a row, which I don't maybe completely understand, but uh, however it works is completely fine. Uh, Brendan Donovan with another good day before he was pinch hit for in the third inning. He only had two at-bats, but he got two base hits in those two at-bats and continues to uh, provide a, sort of a table-setting presence at the top of the lineup right behind Newpart. I like Donovan in that two-hole, but he can bat against righties or lefties. We've talked about how even though he's not a switch hitter, he's a left-handed hitter, he, he almost behaves as one because he's good against either handedness for the opposing pitcher. That's a benefit because it gives you flexibility. Guys like Carlson and Edmund, maybe they're not the primary contributors in the lineup right now, but that switch hitting ability is something that that does allow the puzzle pieces to fit together nicely. We know that Gorman's going to be in there against righties, probably not as much against lefties. He's a perfect complement to what Albert brings to the table because it's basically an inverse. No, they don't play the same position, but with the DH in play, that versatility is just maxed out in your lineup. You can find ways to work it that you can get the guys in there that need to be in there offensively. I'm starting to wonder if perhaps Paul DeYoung is a guy that you could make a decision to where he's not, you're not, you don't have to make any grand statement about it. You don't have to say he's a part-time player now or anything like that. But with your actions, you can say Paul DeYoung does not have to play every day against right-handed pitching while he's not going hot. And that's not to say you have to bury him completely, but I'd like to see more of Brendan Donovan right now, the way he's going. I, I, don't think I would change anything from the lineup that we had or that we saw from the Cardinals on Thursday, which was very similar at the top from what we saw on Wednesday. Newpar, Donovan, Goldschmidt, Arenado, that's great. And Gorman batting fifth, I think, is something that makes sense. You can keep Tyler O'Neill a little bit lower in the lineup, especially against righties, and uh, see if he's able to get going, which he has been. He's had a good week right now. He sat out that middle game of the series when Dickerson got the start because Dickerson had better numbers against Ramon Marquez. And O'Neill was over six with five Ks in his career against him. So that's a move that made sense. All the pieces are fitting together. And I'm just giving a lot of examples, kind of kind of stream of consciousness right now. But it's amazing the way all of these pieces are fitting together so nicely for the Cardinals. You've got the segments of the lineup that you look at. And again, it's easy to do this game on a day where they scored 13 runs. And you're thinking, well, what could you possibly have negative to say? I mentioned that Arenado didn't really do much with the 0 for 4 with an RBI. Yachty went 0 for 4. Everybody else that started, there's positive things to say about their performance offensively um, because of the way that they they got the job done today. That's good to have. It's even better when you can project that it should stay like that going forward because of how good the Cardinals have been and how easy it's been for Ali Marmel to make out these lineups because he's exploiting the matchups that this roster is suddenly capable of having. They're, for a while, they they were redundant in several areas. You had an Amundo Sosa who was a good defender, but if you're looking for offensive advantages, he wasn't good against righties or lefties. He was just kind of bad this year offensively. And you have the Corey Dickerson situation that's still maybe a little bit questionable, um, but but I think he can be a guy that, that can just get on base against any kind of handedness if he gets himself going. We'll see if he's able to stick around past the point of return for Juan Yepes from the injured list. We'll, we'll see what that looks like. But everybody else, I really do believe they're fitting in so nicely right now. And and part of that advantage is you have players that 
even if they're not great against one type of pitching, they're they're good against the other. And DeYoung's a good example of that. I'm just looking at his numbers now. 564 of the OPS for the season against righties, and you expect it to be pretty bad because it's primarily what he's faced and his overall numbers aren't very good. But 838 is his OPS against lefties, and that's for the full season. That includes even the, the beginning of the year that he had, which was pretty poor all the way around. So if that's another element to your platoon, and you're going to say Donovan doesn't have to play shortstop, but he's got to get in the lineup essentially for Paul DeYoung, and that could mean Edmonds going to be the shortstop that day or Donovan's going to be, or it, does, it doesn't really matter how you organize it. But if DeYoung is sitting against some right-handed pitching, I think you're, you can find a way to maximize what that brings to the table for your lineup. And that's not something that the Cardinals have been able to do in the past, and they're doing it literally every day right now. Like, I see the lineup come out, and I go, oh, that's maybe an interesting situation. Like, yesterday's a good example. You look at it, and you go, well, why would... Tyler O'Neill not be in the lineup. He had such a good day on on Tuesday. He was the big hero with the two hits, and he got hit by a pitch twice, and one of them was for the walk-off, and he looked pretty healthy to me. I don't think it's injury-related. Oh, okay, he's got bad numbers against Marquez. That's going to be a good, obvious day to give him a day off. That makes sense. He's back in the lineup today getting another two for four with reaching base three times. If the Cardinals can have those segments of the lineup moving, which to me is the guys at the top against righties, which right now Newt Bardonovan works, have the Gorman element in there as well as a rookie who's continuing to take advantage of his opportunities. Obviously, you're going to have the same middle of the order with Goldsmith and Arenado. They're continuing to be on MVP-like trajectories. That's great to see. I lump O'Neill and Carlson in together. It doesn't matter where they are in the order, but I view the expectations that I'm placing on their shoulders pretty much identically. I want to see both of them rise to a station that's more than what they've been this year because I think they're both talented enough to do it uh, O'Neill proved it over a full season last year, and Carlson certainly still has the raw skills to to be doing more than he's done. And he's had seasons in the big leagues with a, an OPS better than 750. He just has fallen off the, the pace a little bit this season, and I think you're starting to see him find his swing as well. So that's another segment of the lineup. If you have all of these things working in conjunction with one another, there really are no holes in the St. Louis lineup. And right now, speaking of uh, just a, a balanced roster that's making a lot of sense, there are no holes in the rotation either. Adam Wainwright, seven innings tonight. It's just crazy that the Cardinals have two guys 40 years old or more that you're looking at their performances and saying, I, I would love to see both these guys on the team next year just based on performance. We know Albert's done after this year. No, I don't believe that getting to 698 would change his mind. He's not going to come back. He's getting to go out on his terms. It's a dream come true and probably one that he never envisioned would be possible when he made that decision to leave St. Louis after the 2011 season. But talk about having your cake and eating it too. He got to collect the money, to have the bag of cash, to go somewhere else. Does it during a period where, you know, those 10 years in L.A., he's a little bit banged up, dealing with those nagging injuries, wasn't the superstar that he was when he was with St. Louis. So Cardinals fans only ever had the good memories. And now he's back and he's providing more good memories. It's almost the best of both worlds. I know it was painful for Cardinals fans, and you can look back and say, what if? How great would it have been if he had just spent 22 years here instead of, you know, 11 and then 10 gone and then returning? How how cool would that have been? What would the numbers for his career look like? Uh, I also kind of wonder, without COVID, would he already be at 700 home runs? Probably so, if he had a full 2020 season to, to rack up some more numbers. Like, we can always ask those questions and, and the what-ifs had, had Albert stayed. I think it worked out in such a dream way, especially if you had asked me the question 2014, 2017, 
you know, around those times when Albert had been gone, he hadn't come back yet. It wasn't until 2019 when he got to return to Bush. And that was a big deal when he hit the home run against poor Dakota Hudson in that series. But like that felt like a storybook ending for something that maybe people had some scars about if you're a Cardinals fan. And, and it was kind of a part of you that you just made you a little bitter. You didn't like the way it made you feel. The fact that it's been able to come full circle is tremendous to me. But it also says that Albert is going to get everything that he wants out of this season. Then he's going to walk away. He doesn't need to prove anything, whether it's 694 or 699 or 702 for his career home run total. He's got nothing left to prove to anybody. And I feel like he is finally at peace with what his career has looked like and what it's going to end like because he got to do it on his terms and he got to do it in the place where it all started. So that's a long way of saying I don't think Albert's coming back. I would like to see Adam Wainwright come back, though. I think the rotation would have room for him. Talk about a rotation of Michaelis, Wainwright, Montgomery, and Quintana, who I've already said they're going to re-sign. And, and hopefully Jack Flaherty in that mix, Steven Matz. What could be problematic with signing Quintana and Wayno is the notion that the Cardinals have Steven Matz under contract. And even though if you if you were to rank him one through six, Matz might be number six. And I haven't even said Dakota Hudson's name, but he's probably trade bait this offseason, not necessarily to get a whole big giant return, but to have him go somewhere where he can continue to be a starter and kind of clear the deck for the guys that the Cardinals would likely prefer to have in that rotation. Palante could be a guy that gets a chance in 2023. But I do think Quintana fits the team. If Wainwright wants to come back, that could make it a little bit tricky. Not that the Cardinals won't have him back, but it might mean trying to make a decision on finding out about Wainwright before inking Quintana, which I think they're going to want to do. I mean, look at the way he's pitching. It would be, you'd be crazy not to consider a three-year deal for him. At age 33, he'd go through 34, 35, 36, and would still probably be productive, the, the style of pitcher that he is. But I would wonder if the Cardinals would actually devote the resources to that, knowing that they're paying Steven Matz, you know, 12 to $15 million a year, whatever it is. I think it was a four-year, $44 million contract, but I think it was backloaded a little bit. So they're going to owe him money. Got to give him a chance to pitch. You've got the question mark about Flaherty. Is he going to be ready? I think we'll get better answers about what to expect from him next year based on how he pitches this September because he is going to return sooner rather than later. Probably two more rehab assignments, and then he's off to the races in the big league rotation taking Dak's spot. But I'll just be curious to see how the Cardinals want to approach that. It's possible Wainwright makes their decision easier by saying, I am going to hang him up and retire because then you can go with Jose Quintana, bring him back. Montgomery's under contract, Flaherty's under contract, Stephen Matz is under contract, and then you'd have Miles Michaelis as well. So that's maybe the way that it goes. And it's been a few weeks, maybe two weeks or so, since I recorded this episode, but I did do a deep dive on what I thought the 2023 rotation could look like. So if if you like the Cliff Notes version of it right there, scroll back on your podcast feed, and I I literally dove into every internal option that could potentially uh, be back for 2023 for the Cardinals if you're interested in that kind of topic. Just scroll back on your podcast feed. But it's amazing that, bottom line, Adam Wainwright at 42 years old is pitching in such a way that you look at the team for next year and go, yeah, without him, the rotation's going to get worse because he's just been that good. 3.11 ERA for the season now for Wainwright. 9-8 and eight is the record. 150 innings. He just continues to rack them up. 2,500 career innings for Wainwright, and he's now up to 2,127 strikeouts. I'd like to see him come back next year because I think he makes a stronger case for a Hall of Fame bid if he does, which even as it stands, I I don't think he should be outright dismissed with some of the numbers that he's put up for his career. But I digress on that. 
just really impressive where the Cardinals are at right now. And they've got a, a situation that they can continue, I think, to build the padding to their lead. I know Milwaukee gets to take on the Cubs this weekend, and so that's a benefit to them, obviously. The Cubs, one of the worst teams in the league this year. But the Cardinals are going to get that same right coming up next week, and they get them for five games. Now, it is at Wrigley, and that makes things tricky, but five games against the Cubs, you could definitely win four of those and find yourself uh, padding that that record even a little bit further. It's at the Diamondbacks this weekend for the Cardinals. Two out of three against the Diamondbacks and three out of five against the Cubs. That would be five out of eight. It wouldn't be anything flashy, but it would be enough to me to continue on the pace the Cardinals are on right now, which has just been winning a lot of games. I mean, they they take three in a row from the Rockies right here. They got the job done against the Brewers over the weekend, two out of three. The only series they've lost since that first series back from the All-Star break when they inexplicably dropped two out of three against the Reds that weekend at Great American Ballpark. The only series that they've lost to this point since then is that one a week ago against the Rockies on the road where Colorado, much better team at home than they are on the road. So we talked about it then. We said, listen, this is a little bit of an anomaly. Yes, the Rockies are better at home, so don't freak out. The Cardinals are going to get their chance at revenge. I think they're going to take advantage of it. I hate to look at a series at the beginning and say this needs to be a sweep because it just feels like in baseball, which has 162 games in a year, anything can happen in in the course of a three-game series where – weirdness can pop up and you end up losing one of those games. And if that happens to be the first game of the series, you go, wow, now you're really disappointed because you were supposed to sweep it. And now you're maybe not even going to win the series. And it did happen that way. Like Tuesday's game against the Rockies, every opportunity was there for the Cardinals to lose it because of the the bad luck on balls in play, just weak hits, uh, a walk that was ill-timed. And then they take advantage with that Blackman double against Packy Naughton. Suddenly you're down 4-3. Cardinals didn't even lose that game. So once they won that game, then it becomes a little bit more comfortable to say, all right, I can expect a sweep and the Cardinals can come through. 18-1, to they outscored the Rockies over the last two games in this series, and that earns the Cardinals a pretty comfortable standing atop the NL Central Division, despite the Brewers playing pretty well this week as well. That is going to wrap it up, though, for this edition of the podcast. Appreciate you guys for joining me as always. Looking forward to breaking down this weekend series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show because this is a Cardinals team that's going to make the playoffs. I really do feel like they're going to come away with this division the way they're playing right now. And you're not going to want to miss any of the B-Shape Daily episodes throughout October. So appreciate you guys. As always, go ahead and subscribe. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.